the reason that we see disharmonies in our cycle and that isn't the typical presentation for people is because our world is stressful. We're expected to work like men. We are not men. Men experience their hormones in 24 hours. Women experience fluctuations over the course of 28 to 30 days. There are times where you're going to be tired. There's times you're going to feel like a rock star. There's times you're going to be able to multitask like a boss. And there are times that you're going to need to pull back a little bit. And that's okay. In today's episode, we discuss alternative approaches to fertility and period issues. That's coming up on this episode number 23 of the Living Her Legacy podcast. Hello, I'm Jill Sutton and welcome to Living Her Legacy, a podcast that features heart-to-heart conversations between mamas who are navigating everything that changes after having children. Right now, let's give ourselves grace to change, to let go of what no longer serves us and unapologetically take up space. This knowing and owning our self-worth is the key to living a fulfilled life, our best life. Don't just leave a legacy live one. Hello, and welcome to the Living Her Legacy podcast, where we celebrate and serve mamas who are living their best life after starting their family. I'm Jill Sutton, and thank you for joining for episode number 23. Come find Living Her Legacy on YouTube. Click the link in the show notes, subscribe, and comment. It's much more fun to have an interactive conversation about each episode. On YouTube, you'll not only get a chance to chat more with me, but you'll also get to watch previous episodes and future episodes being released. Today, I'm blessed to talk with Adrienne Irizarry. She is a holistic women's health practitioner who specializes in offering period solutions, fertility support, and easing life transitions using natural approaches. Adrienne herself has struggled with secondary infertility and recurrent miscarriages. She is so passionate about helping women live their best lives through education and non-invasive modalities, and I think you will feel her energy as you listen. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Adrian. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jill. It's really a pleasure. I am really excited for our conversation today. I feel like it is every mama that is probably listening can relate to some of the things that you're going to have to share with us. So I'm excited about that. Well, I'm excited to share because it's been quite a journey to get to where I am and I wouldn't trade any minute of it for anything. I would love if you could just introduce yourself, tell us um, who you are, maybe where you're from and what you do. Sure. So my name is Adrian Irizarry. I am a holistic women's health practitioner. My focus is in Eastern medicine, and I specialize in bringing non-invasive uh, care to women's reproductive health. Um, I am based in Dover, New Hampshire. Um, I am a native of Maine, so I really haven't strayed too far from where I grew up. And I specialize in the women's reproductive continuum, really. So starting from girls um, at the very beginning of uh, menarche, all the way through that menopausal transition, I work in all of the areas that usually make women groan about being a woman. Um, I support fertility and everything in between. It's a heavy area. It is something that's filled with a lot of emotion, sometimes guilt and shame, you know, so I'm really curious. I wanted to kind of ask you just how you got into this line of work. Yeah. So, um, it's funny. I look back at my journey and there were, there were 
moments that foreshadowed that I would get here um, without being really direct. So I was always really interested in um, natural approaches to healthcare. I started with an undergraduate in music, but I was really interested in using it in a therapeutic way, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to go the licensing route to be a music therapist. Um, ended up with an opportunity to do a master's in communication, and that really kind of took me outside of that healing space. And, and, you know, because I walked out of my master's degree when the market crashed in 08. So I had to just get a big girl job <laughs> and pay bills. <laughs> so I worked in the copywriting, magazine editing, philanthropic space uh, for pretty close to 10 years before spending the last five before I went into practice for myself in the marketing and public relations side of corporate America. And through that whole process, I ended up having my daughter and I had a beautiful pregnancy and a horrible postpartum recovery which I know is a very collectively shared experience, particularly in the United States. We don't have nearly enough support for recovering mothers' bodies, and that leads to and opens the door for a lot of health problems later on. But um, I had a really hard time with all of that. It led to a lot of weaknesses in my system, and I started to bleed after I stopped nursing, and I bled for six months straight, and the Western medical model had no answers for me, and I was a new mom and mind-numbingly exhausted and needing to work a job to pay bills, and it was just, it was this really unhealthy space to be in. And that is where I found uh, Eastern medicine. I had an absolutely incredible acupuncturist who was also an herbalist. And in four or five sessions, she got the bleeding to stop. And I was like, oh, what is this magic? I must learn all the things because it totally transformed my life. She, I worked with her. She just as an incredible human being, totally answered every question I threw her way. She gave me books to read. I would take them home, devour them and bring them back in literally my next appointment. And she's like, man, she's like, you're going through my entire library. But it was just, it was the wisdom in those books was just incredibly fascinating for me. And I just felt totally called to Eastern medicine as a way of really meaningfully supporting the body because it provided me with answers that I wasn't getting from my doctor. And after having had a heart attack on birth control at 25, mm. all they could offer me was we could do an ablation or a hysterectomy and permanently alter my fertility for the rest of my life. Or, Hey, we can give you hormones. And I'm like, but I had a heart attack on hormones. Like, I don't want that. There has to be something in between. And unfortunately their toolkit is kind of limited in that way. You know, if I'm having an ectopic pregnancy, I want a super skilled OBGYN on the other side. But there's a lot of like degrees in there between let's take out your organs and hey, maybe there's a constitutional weakness. So fast forward, I met the love of my life and we got married and decided to have a baby of our own. And he had children from a previous marriage and so did I. And we did not for one second think we were going to have any issues with fertility challenges and I found myself experiencing secondary infertility. So 
the stress of corporate America was not helping. My cycle had gone down to 18 to 21 days. Um, so I was bleeding for two weeks, off for a week, bleeding for two weeks. And like I was exhausted. So I was back to that same level of fatigue. Even though I was doing acupuncture and herbs, like they couldn't hold the river back because the demands of the job, I was working over 70 hours a week and it was just insane. So I decided to make some lifestyle changes because our priority was to have a baby. And after four miscarriages, I started turning back to the Western model for support and solutions. And I had every painful invasive test done you could possibly imagine only to have a fertility doctor throw himself down in a chair and go, <laughs> there's no problems with his test results or your test results. I have no idea why you're having this issue, but we can do IVF with ICSI and then breezed out the door. No explanation, no nothing. And like my heart shattered because I had gone through this whole process expecting that this guy at the end of the tunnel was going to be the guy with all the answers mm -hmm. and he had none. And it was that it was the, the burning down to the ground. Like I think of myself kind of like a Phoenix rising, right? It's happened several times throughout this journey to where I am today. And in that breaking down process, I'm like, there has to be a better way. I know there has to be a better way. And if I'm facing this, other women are too. And turned back to Eastern medicine in a much more focused way to look for answers. Because again, this was the second time in this, this journey that Western wasn't holding the answers I was looking for. So in my quest for knowledge about myself, I learned about the practice of pelvic steaming. I learned about acutonics and sound therapy. I became an herbalist. All of these things were my way of not only answering my own questions, but knowing that there were other women that had these questions too. And there were a lot of other women whose hearts were broken, their arms were empty, and they were looking for answers just like me. And it just caught, like, I couldn't help it. It just, I feel like it just kind of burst forth from my heart. <laughs> I don't know how else to word that, but like this practice literally is all of my grief and frustration and heartache and seven miscarriages birthed into the world to be able to help other people not go through the crap that I went through. And it's been an, it's been a heartbreaking and rewarding. And, you know, every day I love waking up and doing what I do because I know I could make a meaningful impact in someone else's life. Yeah. I often think that the most passionate businesses stem from someone solving their own problem and realizing this is more than just me. There's other people that need these answers too. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, I recorded a, a, it was kind of a hard one to record. Actually. Um, I have a podcast called the reproductive rebel podcast, and I recorded an episode last season about grief and pregnancy loss. Um, I believe it was episode nine because it's a hard topic. We don't talk about it enough. And as I was recording that episode, I had this huge epiphany that it was literally the birth story of my practice. And so, you know, 
because women are intuitive beings, leading from that heart space and stepping into a calling from something that lights your fire and ignites mm. your passion, you can't help but be successful at it because it's literally coming from your soul. And it makes your heart sing because, you know, it doesn't feel like work when you're just called to your desk or to your office or whatever it is every single morning. Literally overflowing out of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me what path you took to become the practitioner. So I know you were consuming all this information and knowledge. So then how did you flip that from treating yourself to treating others? Absolutely. So I, I went from hungry to trying to find ways that I was not going to have to formally enroll in acupuncture school in order to, to execute on my dream um, for several reasons. One, at that point, I had a blended family. So all of my kids were grade school age at that point and taking on more school debt in order to change my career was just not an option at that point. And I I wasn't totally called to being in that licensed space either, because I don't know, blame it on my Aquarius brain, but like, I just, I wanted to color outside the lines a little bit, but I enrolled in some, some programs that like the East West school of planetary herbology for some of the herbalism side of it. Like you can be a self-taught herbalist, but I wanted to learn from some of the best in the world. So programs like that. Um, I actually started with pelvic steaming, um, devoured as much information about it as I possibly could, because it was a tangible way that women could care for their own bodies in their own home. They, and I just acted like a coach. So that was the, the biggest start to moon essence as a practice. And as I started working with it, I realized I got really, really good at fixing period problems. So eliminating period cramps, the brown blood, regulating cycles so that they were coming every 28 to 30 days without any uh, emotional symptoms beforehand, without any pain or anything like that during. And that that was really the foundation for whatever somebody wanted to do with their life. So if fertility was their goal, set them up with a healthy period and they were in a really strong place to conceive. If they were like, am I perimenopausal or menopausal? I don't know. Set them up with a nice healthy cycle. And then you're able to see what's actually going on underneath the surface. Because a lot of times period problems arise because our world is moving faster than it's moved before. It's stressful. Stress affects mm -hmm. our cycle, you know? So, um, so I, I pulled herbalism in as part of my toolkit at that point and then realized that like, I, I was referring out for, um, acupuncture a lot. And I still refer out for acupuncture, but I had some clients that it's like, they were so close to where they needed to be. And I knew that they needed to be needled or something like that in order to like get them up over that little hump to, to the finish line. And the idea of needles is a big turnoff for a lot of people to seek acupuncture care. 
So acutonics solved that problem for me. So really like as the practice matured and as my understanding of what women were going through, the challenges they were up against, and I started to reach the outer limits of some of the modalities that I already had. Um, I started as a Chinese nutritional therapist. I probably I probably should have included that part. I was really interested in the dietary side and I began that journey and going through school for that because my daughter was having a lot of issues with her skin. And I have two that have ADHD and I was able to really change their experience with those symptoms through Chinese nutritional therapy. And so then from there, the steaming was added and then the herbs and then the, because I would find the outer reaches of what that modality would allow me to do and realize that, well, in if you're looking at the body as a, a complete picture of spiritual, emotional, and physical, I'm only getting so far in this one direction and I need to add this other piece too. So acutonics gave me a non-invasive way of being able to give people the beauty of acupuncture and all of its benefits without people freaking out ahead of time because, oh God, she's going to stick me with needles or I have to get undressed. And that is a triggering experience for me. So mm. this way I could meet people where they're at and all of the modalities that I offer are that way. But I, I pieced my, my education together because, you know, I had to study around kids schedules and I had to, so a lot of it was online learning. I'm so grateful for that huge shift that we've seen over the last few years for online learning, because I, I would not be where I am without that ability. I wholeheartedly agree. My first question for you is going to be, can you describe what acutonics is for those that don't know? Yes, absolutely. So acutonics is a form of sound therapy. There are several different schools of thought out there in terms of the application of sound as a therapeutic model. But I use acutonics. It is based in uh, the Eastern medicine system. They use uh, the same approach to the meridian system in the body, the way that an acupuncturist would. It's all about moving energy in meaningful ways and focused ways through the interstate highways that guide energy and blood and other fluids through our system. Um, the cool part about it is I can work on the body. Uh, there are several different sizes of forks to be able to get lower resonance or higher resonance, depending on what it is that you're doing with the person. Or you can work in the field outside of the body and you don't actually have to put forks on the person. So I've noticed that people who have issues with being touched and are uncomfortable with that can still reap a lot of benefit from acutonics because you can work work just outside of their body without actually touching them. We also incorporate things in like gongs and chimes and, and um, singing bowls. Uh, I tend to use the seven metal singing bowls instead of the, the crystal ones that you more stereotypically see associated with sound baths and things like that. I can use them, but I find that I get better results with people with the seven metal bowls. So I use lots of sounds from you know, it's pulling from some shamanic tradition in addition to using forks on the body, kind of like you would needle points as an acupuncturist. 
so it can be applied to the body or just outside of it. Forks as in tuning forks, I'm assuming. Yes, tuning cool. forks, yes. Yep, you're using different frequencies mm-hmm. and then intervals between vibrational frequencies in order to create different actions in the body. So if somebody is really stressed out, the closer those two pitches are to each other, the more tightly they vibrate and the more movement they create, for example. I really love the science behind energy and frequencies. And, you know, even they talk about successful people and their vibration Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I really do kind of love that because it's so true. We all are energy. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's like that same sensation that you get when somebody walks in the room behind you and you might not have heard them and you haven't seen them yet, but you just know something's there. You're, they're entering your field. And, you know, when you just click and you have that kindred spirit moment with people, it's because you're vibrating at the same frequency. And so like, there's a a level of you get me. That's really, really cool. And so, you know, watching people come into my practice, like they could have come screaming into the parking lot on two wheels because, you know, they had to drop off a kid and they got stuck in traffic and they're late and they're stressed about being late and just run a rain stick at the very beginning of the session and all of a sudden all that tinny high vibe tense energy that they walk through the door with that you can just feel as soon as they walk through the door just starts to melt away and then you're able to actually work with the person as they intend it's just really cool I I love 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 the work so much and it goes right back to my musician roots at the beginning of my life so it's it a good really fit. does it's like a full <laughs> circle moment for you Absolutely. I feel like it was something that called to me very early on. I just had to follow the the river a little bit further in order to figure out how it was all going to come together for me. One of the things I like that you said was you kind of talked about getting to the outer limit of a certain modality for a certain person and having to add, you know, another piece to your toolkit. And that's something that I really feel because as a physical therapist, I had the same thing. You know, we have a certain set of modalities and you start seeing maybe a pattern where, okay, this is getting me so far with my patient. And then it's hitting a wall. Like I need something Mm -hmm. more. And you start searching for whatever else you can find. And one of the things that I added to mine was dry needling. So it's, uh, has a little bit of a different you know, background, but it's essentially very similar in the fact that you're using those needles to change tissue makeup, really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this does too. I mean, think about how much of our body is water. So So much, even when we're looking at pelvic steaming, for example, and you know, when I first started working in this arena, the only association people had with it was Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop. And they thought it was this like fly by night Hollywood trend when actually it's like centuries old, you can find it on every continent and pretty much every culture. If you look back at the historical record and it's still used clinically in uh, India and China. So other parts of the world are st- in Korea. Korea is a big one. Um, you can find uh, studies in Korean PubMed, but um, you know they they see the benefits of using this modality in a clinical application for gynecological health. Well, if you look at it from an acupuncturist standpoint. Um, I haven't seen anybody talk about it this way. So I, I believe this is, you know, my own theory. Um, 
But because there are two acupuncture points on the perineum that have a lot to do with the two center uh, interstate highways, we're going to call them in the body, the one that runs up the midline in the front of the body, the renmai, and the one that runs down the midline in the back, the dumai. Um, those two points are like the beginning of both of those interstate highways. So I kind of think of it like you know, Northern Maine or the Southern tip of Florida, and you can follow 95 all the way up or route one rather, sorry, route one all the way up. So, um, it's kind of like that one, but I don't know about you. I don't want anyone sticking needles in my private areas. I'm good with that. So this way you can get all of the benefits that those two acupuncture points provide with gentle stimulation. Women in general struggle with circulation in the lower half of their body. Their toes are cold. You get cold from the knee down to your toes. Um, some of our reproductive challenges, whether it's fertility focused or just, you know, the health of menstrual cycles in general struggle because we aren't warm enough there don't get me started on the crop tops and all that stuff. But anyway, <laughs> I did, a, I did a TikTok on where's my shirt <laughs> because <laughs> this whole short shirt trend, like there's a huge increase in people having issues with cramps. But anyway, one of those two acupuncture points on your perineum is a low point L U O. And in acupuncture, those are used to move things that are stuck and so you get this big movement in the body. So if blood isn't flowing properly, energy is stuck and we hold a lot of emotions in our pelvis, mm -hmm. ladies. Like anytime our identity is challenged, our voices are questioned, we don't feel like we're enough. Uh, we come up against, um, you know, challenges to our sexuality, things like this. Like we stuff all that stuff down into our pelvic bowl. And it affects our teeth clenching because of that connection between the pelvis and the jaw, you know, so there's, there's so much that gets stored in there. And when you're able to help move circulation, blood and energy appropriately through this area, all kinds of things unlock people start seeing more confidence, their cycles improve, they are able to communicate better with people around them. It's incredible the changes that come from steaming the pelvis. So, you know, I always recommend doing it with a practitioner. There are a lot of people that DIY and, you know, there are considerations um, for steaming depending on your, your medical history, but um, it's a really safe, easy way, just like acutonics. And so, you know, you're right. Like each modality has an, an incredible breadth of gifts, but they do have some limitations as well. And so, you know, if your practitioner doesn't have some of those additional tools in their toolkit, them having a network of people that they can collaborate with is really, really powerful. I have a network of acupuncturists and chiropractors and other somatic body workers and things like that, that I refer people out to because we're complex beings. And, you know, if I don't have a tool and I, I improved the toolkit because some of it was a trust thing, right? So once you finally find a practitioner that you trust, you really don't want to go anywhere else for anything. So that was a piece of it so that I could really like honor and hold space for people who needed certain types of love and support, particularly in the perinatal loss area. I'm pretty active in, in that, um, in healing from loss. 
Um, and I'm becoming increasingly vocal about it because it's not a topic that we talk about nearly enough. And a lot of women hold a lot of shame around that. And that does affect the way that the pelvis shows up and the, the cycle shows up. So this does feel like it's still such a taboo type of topic. And like you said, it carries a lot of guilt and shame. And a lot of women don't know who to turn to because like you said, they go to their OBGYN and they say, that's all we can do. Or they have the extreme options. We can put you on birth control forever, or we can schedule a hysterectomy. Those are your mm-hmm. options. And it's like, wait, those, you don't even know what the problem is, but you have a solution and the solution's extreme, right? Mm-hmm. How do we bring more awareness to what's available and I guess also like if someone were looking for you, how do they find somebody like you? I think that is a fabulous question. And I think it is one of the hardest ones to answer because our system really does believe, and it's it's because of hundreds of years of, of shaping the narrative, right? we have a hard time finding things outside of that system or it's not covered by insurance. And that financially is a hurdle for people. And that Mm. is difficult. I unfortunately have to be one of those, you know, pay for service types of practitioners because while not being licensed and regulated helps me color outside the lines a little bit and really meet women where they're at in their journeys, it does limit me in terms of being accepted by insurance companies. I mean, geez, there's still insurance companies that don't cover chiropractic or acupuncture for God's sake. So, you know, our country is very focused in general on acute solutions to acute issues rather than spending the money on prevention so that there isn't such a burden on the healthcare system so that people who have acute things can be seen faster. Last time I looked at the numbers, it was like we something incredible, like 19% of our gross domestic product is spent on dealing with things after they all already fall apart instead of the 4% spent on prevention. Like that's heartbreaking. And women's reproductive health is no different. Like your, your period is the first place that you start seeing imbalances in the body. And your period tells the story of how healthy you are, but we haven't been taught to look at it this way. So it's, you know, while working with people one-on-one is a huge passion for me, the focus of my practice is really turned a lot to education because there aren't a lot of resources out there. And that's the hardest part. So it's the reason why I started Reproductive Rebel um, so that people could listen to a podcast and learn some of this stuff. It's why I started the Dow of Women Institute. I wanted people to be able to empower themselves with information. So even if they decided that surgical options were aligned for them, they were making the decision with a full spectrum of information. If you do this, here are some of the potential pitfalls. If you don't do this, here are the you know pros and cons of a more natural approach. And I'm, I'm all about providing that equal balance kind of, of delivery so that the individual can make an empowered decision for themselves. But the probably the biggest travesty in the United States, and actually I'm seeing this internationally because I do work with women all over the world. 
this is kind of like a Western culture problem for sure, um, is the lack of body literacy that we are given as young women. We are just simply not taught about our bodies because we have this messed up understanding that if we teach them about their bodies, they're going to go use them. Well, no, like I believe that you can have an appropriate body literacy conversation with a young woman that has nothing to do with sex and everything to do with some days you're going to feel tired and this is going to happen. And some days you're going to feel like a rock star. And if you're going to do competitive sports, this is the time you should do it. Like if we got that kind of information from the beginning, I know I would have made a whole bunch of decisions differently in my life. And a lot Absolutely. of the women that come through my practice say the same thing. They're like, man, where were you when I was 14? <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, I have this course called Body Basics. That's really the foundation because a couple of years ago, I released a course called Not Your Mama's Menstrual Course. And it was very much about like how your body moves through the month, how you can support your body in each of the phases. And then I realized after about a year of it being out that people didn't know what the phases were. Mm -hmm or they had been on hormonal birth control for so long and had their normal hormone cadence arrested mm -hmm. for so long, they didn't realize they weren't having a period. They were having a withdrawal bleed when they were on birth control. They didn't realize that they actually have four distinct hormonal moments in their cycle that it's going to make them feel differently at different times. And instead of this, we're expected to live in spring and summer, go, go, go energy all the time. Like our cyclical bodies are not built for that. So that was the, the catalyst for me to be like, wow, like we need this basic body literacy. You have four phases in your cycle. Here's how to count your cycle because I mean, and this is not to shame anyone. Mm -mm. This is just to to shine light on a really chronic problem in our culture that a lot of women don't even know how to count their cycle. I had a late 30s woman come into my practice a couple of years ago that was really heartbroken because she hadn't been able to get pregnant only to tell me in the last five minutes of the appointment that while well, they try every single day, those five days before her period starts and she can't understand why this is not happening. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's because you've missed the window entirely. And now did she have a little work to do on her cycle to optimize her fertility? Yes. And did we do that work? Yes. And did she get pregnant? Heck yes, she did. Because <laughs> then she knew when to try. She yeah. knew she and her partner could do the work to optimize their sperm health and optimize their egg quality and all of those kinds of things so that they're, they were ready to contribute healthy building blocks to their baby. And he's adorable, by the way. So, you know, like <laughs> I just look at all of this and women just don't know what they don't know. And it breaks my heart. And that has probably been the biggest soapbox that I have been standing on because I want women to know that they have places to go for educational resources, that there are options in between. And if they still need surgical intervention, okay, but at least know that you have options before that. Wow. One of the questions I was going to ask you is what lights you up, but I don't feel like we need to ask that. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) I just want people to be able to make decisions for themselves. And, you know, if you look at history, whoever controls the narrative controls the conversation. You look at any history book, it's written pretty much from a white English speaking male voice. Mm -hmm. Women of color are not represented people who speak other languages aren't represented that's starting to change and i'm so grateful to see those changes where people are reclaiming their identity and their historical contributions to the narrative but like it's it's no different for women's health whoever controls the narrative about women's health controls what we know and you know health education in this country for reproductive health for women is like dismal if it even exists at all. I have so many people that come through the door of my practice that go, yeah, I had a parent that just slid a box of tampons through the door and said, figure it out, kid. You know, they didn't know that starting at 11 is too early. They didn't know that they don't ovulate regularly for their first, you know, in that first five years, their body's practicing. It's trying to figure out how to get this, this, progesterone side of the equation working because they're more estrogen dominant when they're little so you know there's all of these things like and because of that irregularity we have this narrative in our culture that oh it's it's irregular which means something's not working right so we need to take them in for birth control oh please don't please don't and i'm not shaming anyone who's done that i am a byproduct of that And I really do think it's contributed to some of the cycle related and fertility related challenges that I've experienced as an adult woman. And I see it in my practice. So I have anecdotal evidence to back that up. I mean, I've seen hundreds of women in my practice at this point. And like, I just want to help so many more because it's not knowing what we don't know steals our power. And it's time to take that back. We've kind of talked around the different maybe reasons why someone would come see you. Can you name off just a couple of conditions that people might have that would help, you know, guide them to someone like you? Okay. So it, this is something that a lot of people don't know. Um, and I, I share with my VIP group of people on a regular basis. So periods are supposed to arrive every 28 to 30 days. They are only supposed to last, according to Chinese medicine, four to six days. On average, I see four to five. This is no PMS beforehand. So if you feel like a fire-breathing dragon and you want to burn the village down, or you feel like you need to walk around with a box of Kleenex underneath your arm, your body is already trying to communicate with you and tell you that something is not in harmony going into this cycle. Okay. So PMS symptoms are a flag and your body's lovingly trying to communicate with you. So we want to have no symptoms leading up to it. The period starts somewhere between day 28 and day 30 of the cycle, because the lunar calendar is 29 and a half. So anywhere in that range is normal. Earlier tells a story, later tells a story. The bleed should start fresh red right from the gate. No brown beforehand, no brown after no trickle spotting after it should start on day one and the flow should be like a soft bell curve 
it will be light to medium the first day, heavier day two, coming down day three, light to cruise to the finish line day four into day five. No symptoms, no cramps, no clots, no funny business. I know for people who are listening to this, you're probably thinking that I am describing a unicorn. This actually does exist if your body is supported properly. So when you're pink or brown spotting for days afterwards, that is not the period. That is your body telling you something about what's going on inside your system. If you're getting pink or brown spotting before it actually commits to a flow, that is not the period your body is telling you something. So if you have anything except fresh red blood, no emotional symptoms, 28 to 30 day cycle, four to five days of bleed, then you should come see me. And I know that that sounds like a unicorn. I remember when that that period was described to me, I laughed. I was the most cynical human being about it ever because I had never seen a period like that. I was experiencing 18 to 21 day cycles at that point. So I was like, ha, that sounds like you're promising me a unicorn. But I had to put my money where my mouth was because I got to a point where I now for the last seven years have experienced that and I have endometriosis. So it is possible to have that cycle. The reason that we see disharmonies in our cycle and that isn't the typical presentation for people is because our world is stressful. We're expected to work like men. We are not men. Men experience their hormones in 24 hours. Women experience fluctuations over the course of 28 to 30 days. There are times where you're going to be tired. There's times you're going to feel like a rock star. There's times you're going to be able to multitask like a boss. And there are times that you're going to need to pull back a little bit. And that's okay. And we haven't been told that. We feel a lot of shame when we can't go hard or go home all the time. We feel shame around our productivity levels and whether we're getting things done or not. Here, I'm going to also let you in on another secret. You are four times as productive from your late follicular phase, ovulation, and into early luteal than most people are in 24 hours because your body is wired for multitasking. You have lots of energy. You can, you know, you can keep up with the Joneses. Let's talk about multitasking ability. Our brains are hardwired for it because we're built to care for children while we're doing other tasks at the same time. But our bodies, because we bleed, we need rest. This is a really big process that we do in our bodies and we have to allow ourselves time to recover after we do that. So being able to mindfully move through your month changes everything. So whether you're in your early stages of reproductive life where you're, you know, you're regulating your cycle, you're starting to figure this thing out, you're in the peak of your fertile years, or you're coming to the, the baby game a little later in your life, or you, um, I've had a lot of questions lately about, so am I going through early menopause because I've hit 40 and my cycle's getting weird? It doesn't matter. If your cycle is not fitting that mold that I outlined, then that means your body is communicating with you and telling you that in certain areas where it needs support. And that's where somebody like me would step in and educate you about what your body is telling you and what you can proactively do about it. 
I also support people in that perimenopause menopausal transition because you do not have to change your sheets and sweat through everything at night. You do not have to have hot flashes that take over your life or UTIs or insomnia that keeps you up all hours in the night. None of that stuff, all of those things are signs of imbalance. And so, you know, anything that is not a normal period or a standard healthy cycle, that would be who would need to come see me. That's awesome. I love that. I mean, really, like you said, it feels like you're describing a unicorn because I feel like everyone can say there is no way. (laughs) There's no way. And here's the thing. I, I generally will tell people 99.9% of women that's their, that's the reality for them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it has to do with education. A lot of it has to do with our cultural container. And if we mindfully lean into those two things, it absolutely is. I am an entrepreneur and I'm a mother and I run teenagers around to every sporting event and everything else you could possibly imagine. And I have a five day fresh red blood, 28 to 29 day cycle. It is possible. It means changing the way you plan your workflow. So I do work with people who are business owners, mompreneurs, entrepreneurs, and teach them how to plan their work in a more cyclical way so that you can capitalize on all the gifts. Every single one of our hormonal phases makes us a rock star, but we just need to fit the tasks into those buckets in an appropriate way. You and I are having this conversation right now. Guess what phase of my cycle I'm in? I'm near ovulation, right? Because this is where people are the most charismatic and articulate. Mm. And you are totally wired for planning tasks in your luteal phase. Like every single one of these phases, your brain is hardwired for certain types of activities. And if you learn how to use that as a superpower, sky's the limit productivity is the limit and you aren't experiencing cycles that take you down and out and really handicap your ability to do the things and go after the goals that you want in your life. That's amazing. I have to circle back. We started this conversation talking about your transition into this line of work because you were faced with IVF. What was the results of this? I didn't do it. I didn't do it because IVF didn't solve the problem for me. I, my test results were fine. It wasn't that I wasn't getting pregnant. The problem was that I wasn't staying pregnant and IVF didn't solve that. He could get me pregnant. Okay, great but they couldn't answer questions around how those hormones were going to affect me because I had had a heart attack at 25 on birth control. I was so lucky. And I, I cannot remember the doctor's name and I still give her, I can remember her face. I I just give her the immense amount of gratitude every single day that she saved my life. And I'm here to do this now because the first question she asked me was, are you on birth control? And I said, yes. And the whole world started moving really fast. I was on a gurney. I was hooked up to an EKG machine and they determined I was having a cardiac episode is what my chart said. (laughs) Um, so I did not know what IVF drugs were going to do to me. I was scared. And I'm like, 
okay, so if this was a problem for me in the past, like, why are you giving me the same solution? And my husband and I decided that the risks seriously outweighed the benefits when we were looking at the hormonal side of it. And if you're going into a medicated process like that, and there is fear there, emotions are energy. They are energy in motion. You're going to inhibit the success of that process. If you have reservations, it's just like surgery. It's the same thing. You've got to trust the person who is doing the procedure on you because it's going to improve the outcome. Our emotions are a big part of our health equation and we don't give them nearly enough credence when we talk about it. And so we decided that the risks did not outweigh the benefits and that there likely was a different way because it wasn't a conception issue. And so um, I did, did figure out what it was because Chinese medicine has several different explanations for fertility challenges. And I actually was rocking two out of the common five that are listed. And, you know, it's taken years to change the building blocks in my body in order to set myself up for success. And I'm there now. And so now I'm just trying to decide if I if I want to try again, because of course, you know, I've, I've had seven losses. Mm. I got pregnant two years ago and my most recent loss COVID took my baby. And so that is still weighing very heavily on my heart. And, and I don't know, I don't know how I want to proceed from there, but, but IVF just didn't feel like a good fit for me. And I didn't feel held by that practitioner at all. And when it comes to women's health, because we're such intuitive beings and we feel into our environment, that they, it, that relationship has to be there. That trust has to be there. They, they, you know, they have to trust that their practitioner is going to catch them if they fall and the outcome is going to totally change. Oh my goodness. I feel like you're just giving me lots of truth bombs. <laughs> I got re- <laughs> I got to reevaluate some stuff in my life. <laughs> it's I, great. It's amazing. I mean, it really is. And I, like I said, this is some of the stuff that people don't want to talk about. This is the stuff that yeah. isn't talked about that, that you are let down when you hear the answer that you're given. Cause you're like, that can't be the answer. That can't be it. I have to deal with this every month of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And every, so your period is like an organic computer printout. It tells you, did you burn the candle too hard at both ends? Once in a while, my period goes, Hey girl, you did a little too much this month and you weren't super mindful. And you know, maybe my cycle will shorten a little bit. I noticed that when I do, um, uh, trainings, and I'm like in academic study for like a concentrated period of time, my cycle will come like a day or so early, but it's my body saying, girlfriend, you have not been mindful about how you've spent your energy this month. So, or if I haven't been mindful about eating or movement or something, the, the period will tell you how you've lived your previous month. We just need to be taught how to read it. And then what can be done about how it's showing up but it's true we don't talk about it nearly enough in our culture and like this is a soap I, I keep telling my husband this is the hill I'm gonna die on is you deserve to know 
so that you can make informed and aligned decisions for you. So my next question for you is what does it look like, or what does it mean to you to be living in your legacy? Oh, what does it mean to live in my legacy? It means that I'm walking my talk. I am, I hate to use that word, a product of the product, but it's, it's the only phrase that I can come up with. It means that I am giving something to the world that has the possibility, the real possibility of changing the future. And I had a moment, um, I, I think fatigue kind of got the the best of me, but I was talking to my my best friend and I'm like, <laughs> I, I feel like there's just so many people in the world that I want to help and there just aren't enough hours in the day. And it felt very big and kind of hopeless in some way that I'd be able to reach all of those people and, and make a meaningful impact. And she goes, Adrian, she goes, you're already doing that. Every single one of the people you've touched in your practice is taking that information and sharing it with other people. She says, you've already started making an impact on the next generation and how they view their bodies and how they care for their bodies. She goes, it's already beginning. And she's right. Like every person that you interact with and you share your light with and your gifts with, you are helping to change the future. You know, and I listened to this cool thing by Brene Brown. She was talking about the power of vulnerability mm. and being able to change our microcosm right? Maybe we're only changing our family unit or we're changing our immediate circumference. But if all of us do that, so I think about like all of the women who've come through the door of my practice, whether it's virtually or in person, you know, all of those hundreds of women, if they all influence their microcosm, we have the ability to change the world. We have the ability to change the narrative so that our daughter's know how to make decisions about their body, are empowered to live without the symptoms that we did or have babies when we when they want to have them and don't face these infertility challenges that this generation is seeing. Like we have the ability to make those changes if we change the culture and every person has the power to change their microcosm. And that is really what's going to change the world. So for me, that's what it means to live in my legacy is living my most authentic way of moving through the world and sharing what I know to the best of my ability so that women can run their own lives. Beautifully said. I love that. Okay. Where can people find you and get connected with you? Yes. The best place to find me is Instagram. Um, I am most active on there. Um, there's a lot of information about who I am, what I do that lives on Instagram. And then my website, moonessence.life is another great resource. I have blog posts and course offerings and all kinds of things so that you can figure out how to find the Reproductive Rebel podcast or educational opportunities so that you can live your best life. 
I will be posting all the links in the show notes. And I would love to, maybe if you have like an intro podcast episode or, or even your most recent, go ahead and send it to me and I will put it down there so people can find you straight from these show notes. I want to just thank you so much. Like this, this is the kind of conversations that like really get me worked up. You know, I, I love this because I really do feel like, especially as a physical therapist, myself, a practitioner, myself, like empowering women or empowering anybody to be able to make a change and make a decision for themselves is huge. And there is so much red tape and unknowns that, that we're not taught about. And so it's like, once you find that and you have that knowledge coming in, you can do whatever you want to do. I mean, you can really change the world. You really can. Absolutely. Knowledge is power. I truly believe that. And just thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I love your message and, you know, it's really powerful to find people who are living their most authentic life because that's really where you leave your legacy. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for showing up today, being authentically you. I really feel like the most costly thing that people can do right now is be real and be themselves. And I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you too. And I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you learned a lot today and feel inspired to take control of your health. If something isn't right, please seek out a medical professional and don't be afraid to get a second opinion. If your intuition is telling you that something isn't right. Next week on the podcast just might be my first solo episode. I am putting it out there to somewhat hold myself accountable, but I'll be honest, I'm a little anxious. And I know most of my guests before recording give me this exact feedback on being anxious to talk about themselves, but you know what? Uh, It makes an impact and a difference in someone else's life. So I am pushing myself, trying to stretch myself a little bit. Hopefully we'll give you a solo episode next week. So definitely subscribe, tune in, check it out. My mission is to encourage you in that whatever season you are in, you can live with purpose and fulfillment. I want every mama to feel empowered with the ability to create change in order to be living your best life. A wonderful, free, and easy way to support this podcast is to follow and subscribe What that does for you is bookmarks this podcast at the top of your page, wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will also update to show you the latest episode released. What that does for me is it gives me the chance to be ranked in the podcast charts. Please also leave a star rating or review. Not only does this help boost the credibility of the podcast, it also helps new listeners get a better understanding of the show. Plus, it gives me feedback on how I can make the show more enjoyable for all of you. There is a chance that I may read your review on a future episode. As a reminder, new episodes will be posted every Thursday. If you're interested at all on being on the podcast, please check out jillgsutton.com slash podcast. I'd love to have you on the show. Your voice can change the world.